phoned him anyway. Prince of the conversation, and the cop is one of those guys. He's got a swagger. He knows. He's got his man. Christmas bonus has come early. He's like, we can slam this guy. And he slams all the way up to the car, wind down the window, the guy says, and he takes his glass off and says, you know you're speeding. And he's got this little smirk on his face because he knows. Well, yes, 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 I know. I was speeding. He goes, and you see, I see your seatbelts are off, eh? Yes, 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 I know, I know. He casts his eye at the wine and the things there. And he goes, oh, this is a big one, eh? This is a big one. And my brother goes, yes, yes, I know. Then the guy just looks a little bit closer. He goes, but you're a big guy, eh? My brother, yes, strange. I thought, what's that, where's this going? Yeah, yes, I am. Yeah, you're a big guy. And the guy goes, John Cena, eh? And he goes, yeah, 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 that's me. That's a wrestler for anyone who doesn't know. They know. They watch wrestling every week, eh? What night? Thursday, Crystal. Thank you. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, and what's that stuff over there? And the brother goes, no, that's creatine. The stuff I put in, it helps me get big. The guy goes, really? Okay. He goes, can I have some? Goes, My brother goes, no, no, but this is very expensive stuff. It's, no, that's no, for me. It's, I don't just give that out to people. I go, he goes, very expensive. He goes, yeah, it is. He goes, okay. Um, what if I cancel the fine and I take that? My brother goes, bro, this is very expensive stuff. So the guy goes, okay, hold on. He goes, walks away comes back and says, okay, how about this? Cancel the fine and how much do you want for that stuff? So my brother starts thinking, he starts negotiating with him and says, okay, I'll give it to you for, what, six, seven hundred rand for the three packets, or you can take four, one-time offer, nine hundred bucks. Okay, okay, I'll come back, goes, guess is what, the cop, handing out notes to the guy, nine hundred, nine hundred, cool. And he goes, hey, hold on, let me just give you my number as well, just in case I need some more. Hands on the number, thanks. And there the metro cops waving off with their white things, waving my brother off with your way. He goes to his party, flexing in the mirror. John Cena, oh my word. It's a stupid tale, but when my brother told that we could not believe, we were like, only Simon Phillips gets away with things like that. But it's the it's a, it's a nature of man's heart, is it not? That we, there's something, maybe it's a male thing, but I believe it's in all of us, that we all long for something of substance. We love when we see something a little bit bigger than us, a little bit more stable, a little bit more strong. We all rise up. I tell you, I know it. We don't watch rugby for the ball boy on the side. We don't watch him for the guy with the sand running on. We watch it for Pierre Spies and Tendai Beast in the front row. Even though I'm a small guy and I'm a small, pale, white guy, I yell beast and I wish one day maybe I'll be like him. It's time for confessions, isn't it? We have this desire in all of us. I believe that inside of every single one of us, we want something of substance. A lot of us, maybe you come to church, and a lot of us are on this journey of, we want something real in our spiritual lives. We want not just the fake, we don't want just the hallelujah, amen, when things are good. We want something real and weighty and with substance. I want to tell you, I believe that this man, Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, just put it in silence, sorry, he wrote this letter to, to this group of Christians. And, and I wanted to say before that, is that Christians like you and I, sometimes, I think Christians have been portrayed as, and sometimes probably very accurately, as quite weak, quite nervous, quite shy, quite not too sure about themselves. That is the image. The church have become quite this weird group. On, they're on the fringes. They don't really have much weight in society anymore. Once the church was at the centerpiece of society, today it's almost on the fringe because we're a bit strange. To the world. Maybe we look that way. And Karl Marx, a great sociologist, he even goes as far as to say that religion is the opiate of the masses. 
He's saying it's a drug, it's something, it's something weak, and it's a drug. It's something that's so vaporish, it's not even solid, it's not substantial. It's just there for the masses, something of hope to hold on to. Maybe one day we'll have a better life. Because right now, we don't have much substance in our life. That's what the world sees Christians as. And I want to tell you, this man Paul, he writes this letter, he pens this letter to his church in Ephesus. We've been going through this whole series. This church in Ephesus was birthed. The, the fire of God came, they came alive to Jesus. But God, their lives were futile and going to death. But God gave them hope in this world. And what happened was, this church, if we, if we said at the very beginning, was birthed in a city that knew many gods. That knew much religion, it knew much um, atheistic gatherings and people worshipping other deities and other gods. And I can imagine these were gods that had lots of fire and celebrations and festivals and had such political clout. We learned early in the series that the, the god Artemis was key to the economic stronghold of the city. So the Christianity, their birth into this city, was not a substantial thing. We're on the front page, here we go. I can imagine they were nervous, timid, and a bit scared. I can imagine. Paul writes to this church in Ephesus, and the leader of this church was a man named Timothy, a young man. If you go read what Paul wrote to Timothy, he got a personal book on his own because Timothy himself was shy and timid. Paul had to remind him, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, Timothy. He's like, Tim, biggest sign of going into Ephesus with all these other things. I have to lead this church. And he's even such a, a little bit of a namby-pamby guy, I can imagine, because Paul even says he has stomach problems all the time. Maybe take some wine for your stomach. Your stomach's a little bit bad. He's this little nervous guy, and, he, and as Mark once told us, he said, Timothy, the big theme in Timothy is Paul talks about his mother and grandmother all the time. He's a little bit of a nervous guy with mom and grand on the side. Sore stomach, but I'm going to go lead Ephesus. A bit nervous. He, says, he even says to the Corinthian church once, don't startle him. Don't startle the great apostle Tim. Don't startle him. He might be a bit nervous. This is Timothy, a little nervous guy. So Paul is desperately trying to put something of substance into this little man, Timothy, and this little church, Ephesus, who were in nervous times where this church would, could be blown about at any stage, could be disappeared, could go back into not being existence. Paul put strength and stability and, and courage in their hearts. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to take these three verses and open it up. And as Paul... Quality H2O. As Paul does, in an incredible fashion, he puts courage in these people. So, I'm going to do it tonight, if that's alright. Just to let you know, in verse 13, before we jump to my main four points, verse 13 begins this way, it says, verse 12 ends off saying, you once were in this world without God and without hope. And I want to tell you, that is still true today as it was back then. Without God means without hope. If you are not a believer here today in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that without God equals without hope. But I want to tell you the good news. That today in this place, the Christian church, our mandate, our message, every preacher who's ever lived and breathed, his mandate, maybe they've got it wrong, but their mandate, as Tyler said, is to preach nothing else but good news to people without God and without hope. For too long, the church has been picketing and throwing bad news at those without hope and without God. But tonight, I want to say, from this moment forth, please, can we be a people for preaching good news. If you have nothing, if you don't have, you, somebody once said, if you start writing a sermon, or as you think about your life, what you, message you carry, if you start thinking about it and say, well, it's actually not very good news, then start again. Find Jesus, because Christ is good news to a hopeless and godless people. 
But that, that's not where I'm going tonight. That was just for free. A little moment there. Verse 12 says, They're without hope and without God in this world. But then it comes with this phrase in verse 13. It yells at this. But now. You think I might have done a typo. The series title is But God. But I love how Paul throws in this conundrum as well. He says, But now. You have been made whole in Jesus. He says, but now you've been brought close. But I love this hugely because I think a lot of Christianity, where we go wrong, we've caricatured this thing so much that we've made Christianity just so simple. It's about heaven in the clouds with God and hell is a place of fire. Have you, which way are you going? As if that's the grand message of the gospel. We've caricaturized it. We've made it so, like, so pithy and so lame. And that's why the world look at us like, it's, been, it's bizarre because there's no real substance to our message now. Because we are people who are so weak. We are we're people who are holding on to our past and oh, I'm a wicked sinner. Or maybe we look at the future. One day, we'll, in glory, we'll see Jesus. But the scripture says, but now. I want to tell you right now, I declare that over all of you. I think some of us need to understand the but now reality of Jesus Christ. Too many Christians live with a but I was or but maybe in the future perspective. But the Bible is clear. The theme of Scripture says this. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not in the next future. Today. Christ has come and He has come in fullness. He has poured out His Holy Spirit fully in Acts chapter 2. And He has not taken it back. If you are waiting for some future day of revival to come, it's come in Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation, He declares. Jesus is the fullness of God. I want to tell you again that he says, Today if you hear my voice, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Not tomorrow, not next week. I want to tell you God is speaking today and I pray that today if you hear his voice, that you would respond to him. It goes on, there's other scriptures that say in Isaiah 60, Arise and shine, for your light has come. Arise and shine now, not tomorrow, church, not next week. Let's not have another prayer meeting to decide this. But we need to understand that God has called you and I now, your life may be going and think, maybe you have got a, a terrible week last week, maybe you've got a terrible week ahead of you, but I want to tell you this, but now God is speaking. But now God is with you, God is for you, and he is calling you to respond. That's another freebie. My portion today, my big thing, my big theme, is to deal with a doctrine in 15 minutes, a doctrine that is probably the greatest doctrine you've never heard of. Are you ready for that? The greatest doctrine you've never heard of. It nestles itself in there in chapter, in verse 13 and 14 there of Ephesians chapter 2. And it says, you have been united with Christ. This is a doctrine in scripture called union with Christ. And I don't believe that we as a church are preach enough, and I say it to our shame sometimes, because I found these quotes. John Calvin said this, if we are to understand justification correctly, union with Christ has the highest degree of importance. John Murray says this, Union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. It's not simply a phase of the application of redemption, it underlies every aspect of redemption. Another guy once said, Once you have your eyes open to the concept of union with Christ, you'll find it almost everywhere in the New Testament. Michael Horton says, This doctrine is the wheel which unites the spokes of salvation and keeps them in proper perspective. We've said since the beginning of this series, and tonight I'm going big with some weighty things to put weight and substance into our very beings, but we've said what you believe is what you manifest. 
and not the other way around. We'll keep on saying, reminding that, that we have to rewire our belief systems before we walk, start walking out what God has called us to be. Too many of us are still living with old thinking and think, why is nothing changing? We have to have our thinking changed. We have to have a right believing leads to right behavior. You all got that. We've got to have that drummed into us. Right believing leads to right behavior. I want to tell you, so there's four points now, four things, and then we're going to watch soccer together. But these are massive, so don't let your thinking sway. This is huge. Understand the doctrine of union of Christ. The Bible says, this phrase just goes in there glibly, says, you have been united with Christ, and sometimes we move on. This is our hope. This is our meat. This is our substance. What does being united with Christ mean? It means four elements. And if you're taking notes, please put these down because you need to remember these and remember them and search the scriptures for them. But the first one, you'll find these, this phrase and it's lumped together, being united with Christ, means we are with Christ. Right now, not tomorrow, not when we die, not in the future somewhere when we get things right. But as soon as you believe in Jesus, there is a mystical union with God that happens. You, he becomes with you. It's God with you. All through the scripture... In the Old Testament, there was the concept of God being with his people. So when they were walking through the wilderness, the Israelites, he said, I will be with you and I'll be your cloud by day and the fire, pillar of fire by night. The Israelite nation knew God was with them by these visible manifestations. They move on. God says, I'll dwell amongst you in my tabernacle. So what that was, was just, it was like a, a glorified box they put together where the presence of God dwelt in it. So he could move with them. God with them. And it moved on to where they became, he said, I'll dwell in my temple. And what happened was, this was a geographical understanding for these people, so much so that people then would move their homes and their tents closer to the tabernacle or closer to the temple because that meant they were closer to being with God. It was a geographical understanding. But it's an incredible thing where the Bible, and that's, it talks about the Shekinah glory. You maybe have heard of it. If you've been in Pentecostal circles long enough, people love this sort of thing, the Shekinah. But I want to tell you, the New Testament goes beyond this understanding because God starts prophesying through his prophet Isaiah, saying, I will be, I'll send my servant Jesus. He'll be Emmanuel, God with you. And understanding this, Shekinah glory understands it as geographical, understands it, God is my neighbor. He is with me. He is close by. But the real understanding in the New Testament of the glory of God being with us is God is my resident. It's a huge shift. Not only God is my neighbor, but God becomes my resident. This is where union starts coming. It's no longer, yes, I know, we all know, we can say it off, yes, God is with me. Wonderful. No, no, no. It's not just God with us. As a Christian pithy saying that we said on, seen on a coffee cup, when everything's bad, God is with you. Yay. It's not a tweet that encourages us. This is a theological Reality that's shaped our lives. God is with us. He's inextricably linked towards you. A Siamese twin reality. Where you go, you go. He goes. Where he goes, you go. He says this. He goes such a, to such a level. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He goes on again and says, I will be with you even to the very end. This is the God with us reality. The Holy Spirit even comes. He says, my name is the Parakletos. It's got nothing to do with parrots. It's the Greek word. Parakletos, what it means is the Holy Spirit who comes alongside and attaches himself to you. So where you walk, he walks. It's one of those old those pictures in my mind. is a little boy whose feet on his dad's feet. And where the dad steps, the kid steps. That's the, the understanding of the Holy Spirit God with us. 
Not, I pray God will be with me today. Can I tell you, you never have to pray that prayer again if you're in Jesus. He says, I will be with you. Because if you want to say, if you think he's going to leave you, then you're pulling yourselves out of the union that Christ brought you into. You have been united with Christ. With Christ. How profound is that? That changes the way we see tomorrow morning. You do not need to get up at four to beg him to be with you. You can get up to four and worship and enjoy him. Because he'll be there for with you, straight away. He's with us. He's with us. I want to tell you here, because you don't gain weight by osmosis. If you're looking for substance in your life, you don't gain weight by osmosis. I looked and I stared at a cake all day. I still weigh the same. I stared at it. Please get in. I stared at that gym, those gym contracts for a long time. I will get big. I will get big. I didn't get big. I want to tell you, there's an invitation. God is saying this. He says in the scripture, he says, we have become partakers of his divine nature. People who partake are people who enjoy it, who pick it up and eat it and understand it. That's what I'm hoping to do today. Put weight on us as a people as we partake of what he's given us in this doctrine. So the first one, please go study this, go look for these things everywhere you see it. You'll see the scriptures. If you go, read the New Testament, start underlining where it says, with Christ. Start writing those down. Trying to equip you so we can live this walk with life with substance in our bones. The second one, first one is with Christ. The second one is this, we have been made like Christ. Profound, profound. We've spoken about this a lot, but I want to re-emphasize a couple of points here. It says, the Bible says this, it says this, past tense, you have been given the mind of Christ. Done. Given the mind of Christ. He's given us the mind of Christ. God is a God who's a generous God. He does not only make us and say, I'll be with you. He starts forming us into His image. He makes us like Him. And now we know this is a walk, but I want to declare to you right now that you have been given His very nature. It's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. He's been given us a new spirit. It's no longer the yin and the yang living in with you. Your old nature was crucified on the cross. You have been made alive in Jesus and He's put His new spirit in you. You have become like Him. His obedience, that His perfect obedience has been fully allotted to you. Without you doing another thing, you are fully and completely obedient because you are like Christ. Union. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And I want to say this. It's a, it's, we, know we, we know we are in a process of being renewed. It has happened, but we're being renewed. But let me tell you, I'm not working from a place of lack. I'm working from a place of fullness. I've been given everything in Christ Jesus. And every step I take, my mind is being renewed and reminding myself, oh yes, I've been given everything. It's not trying to work for something else. It's knowing tonight that from this moment you've been given everything and we'll keep preaching this and you'll keep reading the Word of God and this will keep leaping out of you, out of you because God is fashioning and trying to change, change our thinking so we understand that we have a new nature. Can I say it again? Are you alright? Good. The Bible uses two words and I pray these go deep in our hearts and we never forget it when we leave the series. When they say the old is gone, the new has come. We are new creations. The Bible says the Greek word that we could use is neos. The old is gone, the neos has come. What does neos mean? It means upgrade. You know, the, you know the story. Hopefully you know it. But upgrade, we know it. You had a Blackberry, you got a new contract, came in, you now have an iPhone. Yay, I have an upgrade. But that's not what the Bible says. It does not use the word neos. It says the old is gone, the kairos has come. 
Kairos does not mean upgrade means upgrade means taking something old and making it slightly better. Kairos means it's brand spanking new, never seen before. You're not a better version of your old self. That is not Christianity. That is Oprah. That is talk show, new age religion. Tell you, that is new age religion that some has preached from our pulpits. But what is truth right now today, weight on you, is that you are a new creation. Gabriel Phillips died and he rose again with a new spirit. Christ in me. That is who you are. That's weight on your bones. You're no longer I'm just a sinner trying to make it through. No, you are a new creation with a new kairos, brand spanking new nature inside you. You've been made like him. It's not yours. It's not your nature. It's his nature. So you can't glory in yourself. It's his nature given to you. Beautiful. We're moving on. Everyone all right? I want to tell you very quickly, you might say, Gabe, you preach this to us way too often. I'm in good company though. Charles Spurgeon, who's known as the Prince of Preachers, spent many years in the text of Ephesians telling them the same thing over and over and over. And an old guy came to him and said, young man, don't you have, why do you keep telling us the same thing every week? And he turned to him and said, sir, because you forget every week. We need to be reminded of these things, reminded that this is who we are. Once was, but now... I'm a new creation. So we have God with us, union. God is making us like Him. God like us. He's making us li- he, doesn't, he likes us, yes. But we're being made like Him. The third one, which we discussed in the whole sermon, so please go re-look at it a few weeks ago. We've been made in Christ. Those words jump out everywhere in Scripture. In Christ, in Christ Jesus, in Christ. And just in case you forgot, in Christ means this. We think that in Christ there is strength. So, Right now, in the kitchen, there is popcorn being made. Yay, popcorn is in the kitchen. We know it without a doubt because we can smell it. We know in the kitchen, but the kitchen door is locked. We can't get in it, and we have to work out ways to pry the keys off Tyler or somebody so we can get to the popcorn. We know that in Christ, there's strength, there's peace, there's joy, there's righteousness. But then we think it's in there that we can't get it ourselves. So we have to try and be obedient, or we try and fast, or we try and pray, or we try and beat our chest. Please, give me the righteousness. Please, give me peace today, God. No, no, but the Bible doesn't just say it's, we know, yes, there in Christ there is freedom, in Christ there is joy, but the Bible uses this understanding, in Christ means you and I have been locked inside the kitchen with the popcorn. We've been placed in Christ, where there is resources, and you can't get out. That is our new position. You've been put inside Christ Jesus. You're in the store, joy forevermore. That is the understanding of we have been in Christ. So I want to tell you the practical application of that is tomorrow. And I pray that that illustration, I tell you, I'm not preaching this stuff because I think it's helpful or cool or funny. I think it's amazing because this is how I live my life. When I have a moment of disagreement with my wife and I want to just hit back with that thing, I want to just say, you know what, let me tell you a thing or two. And I go, but then, you know what I realize? I remind myself in my head that in Christ, I've been locked inside Christ, and in Him, there is, I can hold my tongue. Because that is available to me. Tomorrow when you're faced with a boss, you scream at you and you say, I'm losing my peace. I want to tell you, you don't have to say, go and pray and say, God, please give me peace. You have to just remember, I'm in Christ, peace is available. Take it off the shelf. It needs to, when you are faced with temptation and you just want to, Click on that website. When you just know, I can't. You just have to remember, I'm in the store. Self-control is here. 
I don't have to beg God, please give me self-control. I just can't help. No, you're in Christ. It's practical. It's practical. This is how we change the world. This is how we have weight to our lives. We've been made, God has made God with us. He's made us like Christ and He is Christ. He says, you are in Christ, Jesus. The fourth and final element and my favorite one, if I'm allowed to have a favorite one, is Christ. We're not only in Christ, but God says this, He has put Christ in us. The doctrine of union, it goes to such a level to show that we're inextricably linked. We, we don't know where we begin, where He ends, because we're in Him. Christ in us. What happens in Exodus chapter 33? There's a man named Moses, and he's wrestling, and he's desperate for God to show him His glory. And he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I will do that. I'd love to show you my glory. But I'm going to let my goodness, my glory, my goodness pass before you. But it's so strong, I'm going to have to hide you in a rock. And it's only, you're only going to be able to see the, my back. But it's going to be big. Can you imagine? The full weight of God's glory is going to come passing by. And Moses is like, that is unbelievable. I get to see God's back. Wow. Very cool. Very exciting. It's amazing thought this. But the way, I want to tell you, the word that when he says God's glory, the word there, the, 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 the Hebraic word used there is this word. Kabod. It just sounds heavy, hey? Kabod. It's like it's fallen off the shelf. Kabod. Because can I tell you what it means? Heaviness. It means weightiness. It means substance. God says, I will let my glory, my weightiness, my substance, my heaviness pass before you. Not a flimsy, we've got glory in some churches where we are, glory was here today. We don't really know what it was. Not intangible thing. It, it, was it when we went into the, that one song and it was really nice and the keys were really, that must have been glory. And the world looked at us, what is that? I want to tell you, the glory of God is a weighty thing. And God says, my weightiness will pass before you. And Moses is amazed and his life has changed forever. The incredible thing is, the New Testament, God comes and he shows us Christ Jesus. And he fling wide the gates for us. And in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, comes this phrase. It says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word used there is the same word used in Exodus 33, kabod. Christ in you is the hope of weightiness, substance, ability to stand when pressures come. I want to tell you, this gospel is huge. Understanding what union is, is not a flimsy make you feel better about yourself. It's to say that when the storm hits, when your friend phones you and says, I have cancer, when you go and you, you lose your job or when things happen that we're, we're not in the script, there's a weightiness in you. I will not be shaken because I'm inextricably linked with God. He is with me. I'm becoming like Him. I am in Him. There's available things, sources for me, but He's also in me. This is a gospel that helps us to stand. This puts weight in us. This helps us not to be blown about. I want to tell you right now, there's a seesaw understanding in my mind. Most Christians live in the seesaw. Does anyone remember a seesaw? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Where one guy sits on this side. For me, it was a tough thing because I was always at the top because all the heavy guys were there. I can't get down. But I think Christians, I guess, we live on that. As soon as there's a bit of pressure, we move like this. And then we, we, we struggle with life. And then maybe somebody has a word of encouragement, which is wonderful. Or we come to church and there's a great song that we love. And after a while, we manage to somehow push and oh, a bit of weight goes back this way then it goes this way and we live on the seesaw existence of up one day down the next day I know this is true for most of us 
because I read Facebook. I see your statuses. But I want to tell you this. What God comes to do, what He has come to do with union is this. When you come and you're on your seesaw, you're sitting here at the top and pressures come and they're stacked on this side and the enemy says, deal with that. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm right at the top here. What am I going to do? I can't get down. This is terrible. And on this side, your performance lets you down. You mess up again and again. The enemy goes, what are you going to do? This is pressure, performance messing up. What's next? This is the weight of the enemy's being thrown on you and your, the weight of your past. You just can't get it out. You try, somebody says, yes, you're the, you've got the very righteousness of God, but you go, yeah, but I know what I've done. I'm a mess. And the weight goes down on this side. And you're at the top feeling exposed. You can't go anywhere. And fears of your, of, of your failures, fears of the future haunt you. And it goes on the front. It's heavier and heavier. But God, then you remember that the great union that you've been given in Christ Jesus has said, I have put Christ in you. The fullness of God. Not a measure not half, but Colossians 2 says that in Christ the fullness of God dwells. So when God puts his fullness in you, the hope of kabod, a weightiness comes. And I can tell you what happens on that seesaw nine times out of ten. No, I'm just joking. Every time, every time, no matter what you throw up against, um, the kabod of God will always outweigh your failure. The kabod of God will always outweigh your depression. The kabod of God will always outweigh your mistakes, your hurts, your brokenness, your past. The kabod of God anchors us in Christ Jesus. Christ in us, the hope of glory, substance. Is this not good news? Anybody? Good. The scripture finishes and tells us how. You want to know how do I get this union? Do I need to work fast, harder? Do I need to sign up for a course at the back to really get this? Do I need to fast? Maybe a 40-day fast will get me really connected with God. I want to tell you, the Bible, Ephesians 2, says this plainly. Two words. The blood. The blood. Through the blood of Jesus. That is the key right here. I want to tell you right now, it is not by the goodness of who you are. People will say, but I'm a good person. Can I tell you? That will not get you connected with God. That will not get you so inextricably linked that where you cannot rip yourselves out, you can't outsin your way out of His favor, you can't outperform your way into it. He's linked you in there. Your goodness won't do it. Your good deeds, sir, ma'am, you can try and be a good person and try and do good things. That will not get you union with Christ. I want to tell you again, that's not because you're religious or even your good intentions. You might be saying, but I really want to be united with God. Not good enough. You can say, I really want it. I really desire it. It's not good enough. Your good desires, your good intentions, your good habits will not get you united with Him. We need to remind ourselves these things. I want to tell you as well, it's not through some mystical enlightenment. The world will say, just renounce up or let go, relax, sink into God. Won't do it. You can try as hard as you can. Sinking into God will not get you connected with Him in a heavy, weighty, understandable way. The Bible says it's through His blood. And that's precious for you today. Not just future grace for one day when you die. His blood is paid for you to have this relationship with Him now. This is the secret of the gospel. The secret, the good news that we can have this but now. Michael Eaton says this. He says, when I go to have a quiet time, when he goes to read his Bible and connect with God, commune with God, he says, I walk in there and I hear the enemy's voice say, 
doing? Coming here with such confidence, thinking you can connect and be with Almighty God when you're such a sinner. When you're such a failure, when you're such a, you're a wicked man and we know our own hearts. When you said, you haven't, you haven't read your Bible last week, you haven't been consistent. How can you think that just right now God's going to speak to you? Michael Eaton says this, he says, I remind the enemy and I remind myself that I'm not coming in the name of my sin. He says, I'm not coming in the name of my performance either. I'm not coming in the name of my consistency. I'm coming in the name of His blood. I'm coming in the name of Jesus. The blood is the access point for us to have communion with God 24-7, every day of the week, highs and lows, every season of the soul, union with Christ. I've finished. And I want to encourage I want to pray for us tonight. I hope this is encouraging. I pray this. Please go read these things. You have been made with Christ. You've been made like Christ. You've, got been Christ. You've been put inside Christ. You're in Christ right now. And Christ has been placed in you. The weight of glory. The kabod has been placed inside of you. I want to pray. Can we all close our eyes? My first port of call tonight is to really strongly say that this is good news. But it's only good news if you accept it. You might have been coming for a while, or you may be here for the first time, and you say, yeah, I know God. I've got a concept of God. I want to tell you, you cannot have close fellowship with God without a mediator. What I mean by a mediator, somebody who comes and reconciles you to Him. And the only person strong enough to do that is Jesus Christ. I think some of us, maybe I really strongly feel, some have maybe been sitting here for a while, and we've not understood the closeness of this relationship. We've thought maybe it's a one day forgiveness and far off time, or maybe it's something, maybe, yeah, it's, it's just something much weaker than this thing. But God wants to put weight and substance to our understanding tonight and saying, if you make a decision tonight, you leave here. From the moment you say, Jesus, I believe in you, come and be mine and I'll be yours. In that moment, you are united with him in all those ways we mentioned. And nothing can change that fact. If that's you tonight, before I move on, if you're saying, I would want to make Jesus my very own, not just an idea, not just a concept, not just maybe God with me at a distance, my neighbor, but God, my resident. If that's you, I'd love you to put your hand up high, just so I can see it. Cool. Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Wonderful. 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 Cool. If you can keep your hand up, just not for me, but just to God. No one's looking around. Father, I pray right now for these people who are raising their hands. I thank you, God, that this is not just a response out of pressure or, or anything else. I thank you, God, this is the work of your Spirit. Right now, I pray, would these people say, Jesus, we believe in you. Jesus, we turn from our, our old ways, our sinful ways, and we turn to face you square in the face and ask you, would you be mine and can I be yours forever? I thank you, God, in this moment, as they pray those prayers, as they pray something similar, something simple, but saying, God, would you be my resident, not just my neighbor, but my resident through Jesus Christ. I pray, would you wash them clean? 
as white as snow. Would you come right now, even your Bible says, you wash them of their guilty conscience. Even their thoughts they've got, you're washing them right now, God. And not a stain will be, rem- will be remaining. I thank you, God, for this. We thank you, God. Amen. Keep your heads bowed, everyone. If you put your hands up, I want to encourage you to come up to the front afterwards. I love to chat with you and help point you in the right direction. But before we move on, can we all stand to our feet? I want to pray and then we're done. Father, we, we lift our eyes to you as a people, as a people who've been called out by you, God, as Paul speaks courage into our hearts, into this world. We know here in Cape Town, we are battered and bruised and, and beaten from every side with, with, with financial problems, with marriage problems, with relationship struggles, with, with economic crises, with all these things around us, with, with political pressures, with, with environmental tor- tortures happening all around. I pray right now, God, in this moment, we silence all those voices. And we hear God say, but now, but now, not tomorrow, not the next day, but now, I am uniting you with Christ. And nothing can change that. Thank you, God. The old is gone, the new has come. I declare over every heart that they have been made with God. They are not neighbors, but they are residents with God. They have been made like God. And they have been put in Christ, and Christ is in them. I pray right now, the weight of God to fill people afresh, to fill them, the weight of God, so they will not be able just putting a blown about left and right by the winds, by the pressures, but they'll hold steady to what you've called them to. Put your weight in their hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.